for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're going to pray. Anyone need a Bible? Raise their hands. It's very important that you have a Bible in your hands praying and reading today while I am preaching. Anyone need a Bible? One here? One here? Okay. So I actually, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. I am not actually going to be reading right now. I'm just going to be praying. But we will be starting in Romans chapter 9. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name um, for just the witness of, of men like that, Lord, who can walk faithfully with you for 45 years. And Lord, that's what I want with my life, just to have my children witness my grandchildren. And Lord, I just pray on behalf of all the men of this church, Lord, that all of us, we want that witness for our life. As Paul says, um, with urgency himself, the last time he spoke, really, to the Ephesian elders, he said that I want to finish my race with joy. And Lord, that's all of us. We don't want to finish our race, the race that you accept before us, your word says. We, w- we don't want to finish that race, Lord, begrudgingly or with a frown on our face. No, we want to finish it with joy with the strength that you provide by the Spirit which, which you fill us with, you, which you've promised to fill us with. And I pray, Lord, for this morning as we go through this chapter where there's truly, truly the deep things of God, that you will unearth things for us, new treasures and old, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the, in the Bible, there is a distinction made in the book of Hebrews, and I think First Peter, there's a distinction made between uh, solid food and, and, and milk. Milk being for, for baby Christians, solid food being for Christians who, have, uh, who are growing deeper in the Lord, and now they, they, they understand the... They understand the milk, the baby food, and, and uh, it says in Hebrews, I think at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, I would that you would be ready for solid food. And, and this, this message today is solid food. It's, it's the deep things of the Lord. At Calvary Chapel, we, uh, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible because of people like me can be cowards if we didn't, um, we would skip chapters like this. And that would be, that's a, a, that is a tragedy when, when people do that because, when preachers do that because this chapter is meant for our good. This chapter is meant for our strength. This chapter is meant for Anytime we get to know God more, we love him more. And that's what this chapter uh, is for. And so uh, we are going to um, start off with verse 6. 
in chapter 9, but before we do, before we dive real, real deep, which we're going to do today, I want to repeat the same thing that I mentioned last week, that the verses that we're going to be in today, the deep waters, they can only be understood in the context of the last five verses of the previous chapter, in chapter 8, that those famous verses that many of us are familiar with, uh, verse 35 of chapter 8, which says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, we know the answer to that is no one or nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, peril, or sword, no. <laughs> and, then, and then in verse 38, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor uh, things present, nor things to come, nor height or death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, as I mentioned last week, as incredibly encouraging as these words are to us today, at the time that Paul was writing this, Paul, the apostle Paul knew that there were some listening or reading this letter, and they were thinking, but what about the Jews? What about the Jews? I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What about the Jews? Because at the time, although almost all the church in the first couple of years were Jews, the overwhelming number of Jews had rejected Jesus. And by the time this letter was written, the church had come, become filled with Gentiles, dominated with Gentiles. Really, it was a, a, a Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish church of all nations. And, and, and Jesus himself spoke of this repeatedly before it ever happened about what was going to happen that God would remove the lampstand or the from the from the Jews and and it would go on to all the gentile nations in fact when he approached Jerusalem prior to his a crucifixion, this is what he, he said. Actually, he was in the temple courts when he said this. He's speaking to Jews. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Luke 13, 34, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. They rejected their Messiah. Now, in... Um, Chapter 
10 and 11, we're going to find that uh, in the latter days, at a time in the future, there's a verse that says all Israel, ethnic Israel, is going to come to the Lord. But um, we are in a time now where not all, but most Jews are rejecting Jesus. And that happened when they, that started with Jesus himself, as Luke 13, 34 says. So what about the Jews? In the Old Testament, Jews are referred to as the children of God. So what about the promise at the end of chapter 8? Nothing will be able to separate a child of God from the love of God. Paul gives two answers to that question. The first answer we talked about last week, in the, which we covered in the first eight verses. Paul's first answer was to clear up a misunderstanding that many had at the time and continue to have until this day. And that is, no one is a child of God by birth. No one. (laughs) Paul said, a Jew is not a Jew by birth. A a, A Jew is a Jew by placing their faith in the promises of God. What was true for Abraham Abraham was not a Jew by birth. He was a Jew because the Bible says that he believed God. And and Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says this, Abraham or Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And, And here in Romans 9 and also in Galatians 3 and 4, that's what makes a Jew a Jew the word of God says. And so what was true for Abraham has been true for every child of God since. They become a child of God not being born into a church, not because they were born Catholic, not because they were born in a Protestant church, not because they were born in an Orthodox church, but rather by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, to all who receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. You're not a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. Neither are you not a Christian because you grew up outside a Christian family. Your bloodline, your family have nothing to do with whether you're a children of God, child of God. And so um, last week, that was his, his, his answer, Paul's answer. Uh, the Lord is always, 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 always has been faithful to the promise, nothing shall separate a child of God from the love of Christ. He's always been faithful to that. Old Testament and new, Jew or Gentile. Paul says in verse six here of, uh, of Romans uh, Chapter 9, not all Israel is of Israel, meaning not all Jews are true Jews. The only Jews who are true or completed Jews, like Abraham, have placed their faith in the promises of God, including the promise that whoever places their faith in Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose uh, from the dead for them, they are the children of God. They are the completed Jews. So that's the response to the question, 
what about the, the Jews? Rather, that's the first answer. Now, his second answer, he goes in a completely different direction. And this is where Romans chapter 9 gets really controversial. And I was just praying, we were praying today that we'd all, including my own heart, would just be surrendered to the following verses in Romans chapter 9. Paul's second answer is this, that for about 1,500 years, God had chosen Israel. The first Israelite, you could say, the first Jew was Abraham at the time of Abraham the world had reverted to the time, like men at the time of Noah, where the whole world had just been given over to idolatry. And Genesis, uh, Genesis 6, the time of Noah says that the thoughts of man's heart and his mind were only evil all the time. The world had returned to that in, in Genesis chapter um, uh, 12. But rather initiating a plan of judgment like he did in Genesis 6, with the flood, he initiates a plan of covenant love and he promises Abraham before Abraham did anything good. In fact, he was living like a, he was living like a, in the sewer basically, worshiping pagan gods. He promised him that he would bless him, that he would save him and that through his descendants, all the children, the nations, rather all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so his second answer, what about the Jews, is this. He chose the Jews 1,500 years before to be the people from which he would raise up children, children of the promise, his children. And, and during that time he was choosing the Jews for salvation, he was purposely and intentionally not choosing others. You could say rejecting others. He was intentionally refusing to choose others. But, but now that the Jews had rejected the Messiah, God would be choosing others to, to work his salvation through, to, to, to make available salvation, to, to, to bring in a harvest of children of God, his children. That's the message of Romans chapter 9, in a nutshell. So let's go through these uh, verses, starting again in verse 6. Starting again in verse 6. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 says this. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. I prefer the word failed. It, it, it's not that the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Verse seven. Nor are they all children because they are seed or descendants of Abraham. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Verse eight. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Now, what is he saying there? For that, I am going to put up a chart 
Ricardo, can I have a refill or Luciano of, of water? I'm going to put up this chart. Do we have the chart? Okay, here is, here is a chart of, of, of how God, God's election on planet Earth worked. Choosing some and not choosing others for salvation. It starts with Abraham. Abraham had done nothing on planet Earth to deserve it, but he doesn't choose many, many nations, many, many people. He chose Abraham. Now, in verse 6, or rather, it, it, in verse 7, it says, not all Abraham's children became children of the promise. So Abraham had a child through his wife, Hagar, and the child's name was Ishmael. Ishmael was not a child of the promise. He was not amongst the elect. He he was not the, the... the son of Abraham through whom God would be working salvation, through whom God would be raising up children of God. Abraham also had children through his second wife after Sarah. Sarah died. He had another wife called Keturah, and these were the sons of Keturah. God did not choose those either. He chose Isaac. Everyone with me? Thank you. So again, it says, read again for me, with me, verse 7 says, nor are they all children because they are seed of, of Abraham, meaning not all of these are children of God. Ishmael's not a child of God, and his progeny, they were not children of God, or they, better put, they were not the children through whom God would raise up his children. Only Isaac was that person. That's what this verse says. That's what the verse says. And then, um, and, and that's why he says there in, that's why he says in verse uh, actually, if you go uh, back to verse 5, it says, um, no, don't go to verse 5. Where was I looking? Oh, verse 8, rather. That's why verse 8 says, that is, those who are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. In other words, just because those children on the left and right there are children that came from the flesh, the, uh, the, the body of Abraham, doesn't mean they're children of God. That's the point that he is making. That's the point that he is making. Okay, so let's continue in verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time... I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So he's referring to a promise now and the children of promise would be through Isaac who's in the center, not through the others. And then it says in verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah 
also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Oh my. So let's, let's uh, turn back to our chart here. So after, in terms of the line of election, through whom God would be raising up a people for himself, it was not through Ishmael, it was not through these guys on the right, it was through Isaac, and then Isaac, the same thing happened. He had two children by Rebekah. One was Esau and one was Jacob. Before they were even born, verse 12 says, the older, meaning Esau, would serve the younger, meaning Jacob. And, and um, verse 11, back in 11, it says, for the children not yet being born, meaning before they were even born, nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So the point there in that verse is that before, when Jacob and Esau were in the womb, womb, before they had done anything bad, before they had been born, God chose Jacob, and he purposely did not choose Isaac, rather Esau. Verse 13 says, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, so let's pause just for a moment. To understand this verse, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, That's a verse, by the way, it's a quote from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. To understand that verse, I want to put up another verse, and this is Jesus speaking to you and me. And this is what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking to you and speaking to me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This, this is Jesus, our Jesus speaking. Now, no Bible commentator believes that Jesus is using the word hate here in the literal sense. What Jesus is teaching here is to reject the idolatry of family to reject allowing your father or mother to dictate to you the will of God for your life uh, or for your commitment to God to be secondary to commitment to your wife or children. And by the way, this, I see this all the time. Parents taking their kids to, to soccer games on, on, on Sunday morning, not an isolated one. I mean, I'm talking a whole season. And so rather than, you know, well, I, can't, I, I, I can't let my kids, I, think, I don't want other p kids to make fun of my kids. I got to bring them to the soccer match. And so that is 
That is called the idolatry of family. Jesus is saying, unless, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, and sisters, meaning Jesus cannot take, be a second priority to any member of your family. And you need to reject that kind of idolatry. In the same way, the word hate is used in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, where it says, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, meaning, now we know that Esau, if you know the story about Esau, he was one selfish dude who could have cared less about God. Uh, But still God says, so God loved the world. God loves the world. Every man and woman in the world he loves. Nevertheless, he did reject Esau and all his descendants as children of promise through whom he would raise up children of God. And in fact, Esau's descendants, can we go back to the the chart, uh, Dennis? Esau's descendants uh, were called the Edomites in the Old Testament, Esau here, and the Edomites were one wicked people and became the enemies of, of Israel. And, and so uh, there you have it. End of pause. Let's press play again. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 9. If you think things get easier, hmm, they don't. Verse 14 says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Meaning, this doesn't seem fair. Before Esau was even born, he was rejected as a child of promise or the one through whom the children of promise would be raised up. What's the answer to that that Paul gives in verse 14? Certainly not. Verse 15, for he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Verse 16, so then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy meaning God has mercy on whom he wills and he does not have mercy upon who he wills. That's what this says. In other words, you don't choose God, God chooses you. If it were any other way, listen, please, oh God, that we were to all get this. If it were any other way, if, if it were us who chooses God, then we would have something to boast about. I'm a Christian. Because there's just that something in me that's more spiritual than everybody else. And But you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says? It says, no flesh will ever glory in the presence of God. No flesh will ever glory in in the presence of God. And remember what Jesus said, and we put up this verse many times in the last couple months. This is Jesus also speaking to you, speaking to all of you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you 
that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, meaning that your fruit will outlast you. Is that an awesome promise or what? But he chose you. You didn't choose him. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Romans chapter 9 teaches. So again, uh, let's continue. Again, verse 16, we read this. Let's read it again. So then, it is not of him who wills, meaning it's not your choice or my choice, choice nor of him who runs, meaning some, who, some people who are just more religious than others. They're running, trying to, to run and catch up with God. But it's of God who shows mercy, Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, Pharaoh being the king of Egypt, at the time the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, verse 17, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So here, Paul gives the example of Pharaoh. The Bible says that God hardened his heart. Now, interestingly, in the book of Exodus, before it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it does say Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It does say that. But then it says repeatedly, God hardened his heart more and more and more. So, and, and, and notice the verse, uh, it, it says of Pharaoh, it says God spoke to Pharaoh. It says, Pharaoh, I'm raising you up that I may show my power because of you. And remember what happened. That's exactly what happened. What happened? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, what happened? Moses went to Pharaoh when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and he said, let my people go. And then it says that the Lord hardened his heart so that the Lord could send a pestilence on the land and all the cattle were killed. And then the Lord hardened his heart again and the Lord covered all the Egyptian people with boils. He hardened his heart again and the Lord brought a huge locust storm. And there were 10 plagues in all. And each of these plagues, verse 17 says, showed his power which would eventually be declared to all the earth. When the Israelites, after they uh, were delivered from Egypt and went into the promised land, this is what we're doing on Tuesday nights, what did all the people say? They were terrified. And they said, we have heard about the power of the Lord and how his glory was displayed in Egypt. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to display the power. Let's go to verse 19. Okay, so here's the rubber meets the road right now. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who has resisted his will? In other words, well, how can I ever be responsible for anything I do if it's just God hardening me? Who can resist God's will? I mean, uh, uh, how does God still, it, it would be unfair for God to find fault in Pharaoh or me or anybody else if, if this is all what's going on. He's just hardening people's hearts. And then it says, verse 20, 
But indeed, O men, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Verse 32, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering, meaning patience, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction so that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, can we have the chart really quick, Dennis? So this is the very end of the progression here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the, uh, the Gentiles, which is all nations, all nations. And that's who, uh, that's who most, of, most of us are. So what verses 23 and verses 22 and 23 appear to be saying, they're hard verses, but, but, but Paul's posing a question here. He's saying, what if God, and by the way, he's saying, I don't really know, but, the, but here's what I think. That's what it's saying. He goes, I really don't know, but, but what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. So that's a reference to Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh. It's essentially what he is saying here, what Paul is saying is, what if God, by showing his power and wrath and judgment and holiness with people like Pharaoh, who remember, eventually, what does Pharaoh do? He lets the people go, but then what does he do? Shout it out. He follows them. He chases after the Israelites. The Israelites go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then Pharaoh and his army goes through uh, into the Red Sea. And what does God do? God orders that sea to go over them. And the entire Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world and the most powerful man, perish. And what happened? What happened next? Everyone, the Israelites, the slaves which had been delivered, the song of Moses, the song of Miriam, they were praising God for victory, for delivering them from slavery, for defeating the, uh, and, uh, for defeating the enemy, and God was glorified. Okay. So now, let's take a Big breath. Can everyone, everyone take a big breath, deep breath? I won't ask you to, I won't ask you to stand up and do it, but just big breath. Some people read these verses and they conclude that human beings have no free will. 
and I understand why they do, but they say things like in the, in entire denominations in their doctrinal statement will say things like this. There's no such thing as free will. No choice is your own choice. It is, it is God hardening you or softening you. He's, it's essentially God's making all decisions for you. I think that is very dangerous theology, and I don't think it's biblical. And I'll explain in a minute why. But before I do, I just beg you, don't gloss over this chapter. I, I, I beg you, don't do that. Before you just gloss over this tra- chapter, I, I just ask you, rather than recoiling at these verses, rather than trying to get them out of your mind and like, oh, I can't wait to, uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, Pastor Steve will get to it next week maybe. Rather than saying that, just no, no. Let the word of God do its work in your life. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I would ask you to consider these three things based upon what we just read in Romans chapter 9. Number one, if you really believe these verses, what they say, that God chose you, you did not choose him. If you take that literally, which you should, I will tell you there will be a humility created in you which will make you so attractive to every person who comes into contact with you because the, the, the cry of your heart is, God, you mean there is not a single thing about me that I can point to as to why I'm a child of God, but you chose me, and you chose me before I had done anything good? If you really believe that, it will create a deep humility in you, an attitude of, of worship, and it will draw you ever nearer to God. That's point number one. I'm going to make three points. Point number two, consider verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to God who formed him, why have you made me like this? Listen, brothers and sisters. I mean, I plead with you. We were praying at the 930 service. God, open up everyone's heart to this truth. If you don't believe that, that God either directed or allowed every single circumstance of your life, you will become bitter. Lord, why am I a paraplegic? Why am I not as smart as everyone else? Why did I not grow up with a father? Why can't I have kids? Why did my brother die? Why was there a tsunami that killed 100,000 people? Why that terrorist attack? As I was listening about a month ago to how many people posted online that they no longer believed in God after 9-11. They no longer believed in God. 
That's because they, they, those are the very kind of people that read Romans chapter 9, get offended, and walk off in their rebellion. If you don't believe that God is sovereign and in control over every detail, good and bad, in your life, and is using them for His purpose and for your good, you will become bitter in your life. And your bitterness will hurt every person around you. I I promise you, I guarantee you, because the Bible says that those people who walked away from God, if it was permanent because of 9-11, they're not good people to be hanging out with. They're not good co-workers. They're not family members. Good family members, they're a hardened bitter people. The, the Hebrews chapter 12 says, beware lest a, a root of bitterness rise up among you and defile many. He who is bitter at God or walks away from God because of their circumstances, they will become a danger to everyone that is around them. You must believe, Christian. You must believe that God is in absolute control of your circumstances and that your circumstances were God-directed for His glory and your good. Now, now some people prefer to say things like God allows hard things rather than God directs hard things. I'm not sure there's any real difference between those two, but, uh, it, yeah, f- but, but the, the, the point is what, that I am sure of is Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good, for to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. To say with Job, who, by the way, lost all his children, his wife left him, his health was taken away, and he says in chapter 1, verse 21, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so to be able to to trust in the absolute sovereignty of God and worship with joy in the hard places, knowing that God, the Lord, controls all things and to know that they're working together for his greater glory and your best good. That's point number two. Point number three. What these verses really get across and which is so important for us to understand is that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is never at the mercy of man's free will. Meaning, God's not up in heaven with his fingers crossed just hoping that man, in the end, does the right thing and accomplishes God's purpose on earth. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, It was prophesied 500 years before Jesus' birth that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So go forward 500 years, Joseph and Mary are up in northern Israel, a couple days' journey to, uh, to Bethlehem. Can you imagine God just saying, oh, I just hope, I just hope he does the right thing and goes to the place where he, to, to Bethlehem, the, the emperor has, has called a census and he's supposed to go to his hometown. Please, please, I hope he does it. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. The prophecy of Jesus going to the cross. He's before Pilate. Pilate, um, his wife comes to, to him and says, whatever you do, don't do anything. This is an innocent man. 
I've been troubled in my dreams about this man. Can you imagine if Pilate says, okay, sorry, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, crucify him. I'm going to take him someplace where he's protected for the, for the rest of his life. No. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Rather, he hardened Pilate's heart. That's what he did. And if he didn't, the, sh- the blood of Jesus would not have been shed for the whole world if he did that. So listen, God does not, nor can he be at the mercy of man's free will. If he was, none of us should sleep well at night. The fact that God is not at the mercy of man's free will enables, enables us to be just filled with peace and confidence that God is in control. No matter how crazy it looks out there, he's in control. No matter what the direction of our country is, he is in control. So let me conclude with this. As I said, some people read this chapter and they conclude that human beings do not have any free will and entire denominations are given over to that belief. In my opinion, that is dangerous conclusion. It's an ugly conclusion and biblically, it's the wrong one. And if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a dangerous conclusion because in my opinion, if that's true, I'm not responsible for my bad behavior and my bad choices. It is an ugly conclusion because it removes the beauty of a relationship between God and man in which man really is freely choosing to love God. to be in a love relationship which he could just as well not be in. But I I love the relationship with my children because they choose to love me. They choose, freely choose to be with me. God's no different. And, And it's an ugly conclusion because it wrongly places blame for human suffering on God. Why is there suffering in the world? It's because man's free will. When God gave man a free will, he gave him a dangerous thing. He gave him the, the liberty, the freedom to love God, or he gave him the, and he gave him the liberty and freedom to hate God, and as a result, bring much suffering on planet Earth. And finally, biblically, it's a wrong conclusion Because it fails to take into account the rest of the Bible. And I will plead with you again, beg with you again, when you're reading the Bible, never, ever, ever, or as they say up here, never, ever, ever, ever interpret one verse or one chapter in light of the rest of... uh, (laughs) Let me restate this. Okay, I got it. Never, ever, ever, ever interpret the Bible in light of one verse 
or one chapter, rather interpret one verse or one chapter in light of the rest of the Bible. Is everyone with me on that? Don't create a doctrine and a way of life and, and an entire denomination based upon one chapter. But, 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 but create a way of life, and I don't like denominations, but, but just the, 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 the Christians following Jesus based upon what the whole Bible says about a chapter and a verse. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says this. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God doesn't tell us to choose life, but when we really can't choose life because he's pressing buttons saying, no, don't choose life. No, no, it's a choice. We have freedom to choose to reject life or not. Next verse, famously, John, jo Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have a choice. Every man has a choice to reject God or follow God. Here's a, def here's a different one for you, Judges. We just finished the book of Judges on Tuesday night. It says, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Now, unfortunately, that verse appears quite a, quite a bit. Now, why would God ever get angry at Israel if he was the one somehow influencing their bad decisions? It makes no sense. A 10-year-old reading the Bible would call you ridiculous if you came to that conclusion. That's why Jesus says, the kingdom of God is such as these, the, ch the children. Uh, uh, next verse. Actually, bef um, before we go to the next verse, I want to bring up the example of Job. And just ask for your patience, just a few more minutes here. I want to bring up the example of Job. If you remember what happened with Job, Satan came into the presence of God and God asked him, what have you been doing? He goes, Satan says, I've been all around the earth. And God says to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless in everything he does. And what did Satan say? Call it out. What did he say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, I like that. What Satan said to God was, he only follows you because you bless him. You've put a hedge around him, and, and, and he's got all this health, he's got this wonderful family, and he's rich. If you take those things away, he's going to curse you. He's going to curse you. Now, what did Satan not say? If ever Satan had an opportunity, it would have been. What did he not say? If, if those who believe that there's no such thing as freedom of the will, if that's true, what would Satan have said? Exactly. Satan would have said, of course he's blameless. You make him blameless. He doesn't have a free will. You're causing him to, to make all these right decisions. You're causing him to, to be a good father. You're causing him to, uh, uh, to, to, to be a good follower of God. You take, but if, 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 
if you stop doing that, then he's going to curse you. Is everyone following me? And, and so what happened? What happened? Satan, God, took away Satan's children. Took, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's getting late. Thank you. Satan took away Job's children, took away his wife, and took away his health. And Job chooses to say, he chooses to say, the Lord gives and he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It was his choice. It was his choice. Finally, a couple more verses. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word desires there is the exact same word used in Romans 9, verse 18, where it says, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he, ha he hardens. The word wills and the word desires here in 1 Timothy 2.4, exact same Greek word, theo. It, it's the exact same Greek word. So, next verse. This is, we've already seen this verse um, at the beginning of the message. Jesus looking, talking to the Jews. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Now, why did I put up this verse? Because the word, how often I wanted, that word wanted, is the exact same word as at the end of the verse where it says willing. So really, it reads like this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've willed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. It says what it says. Now, w w when we read this, does this mean that God is at the mercy of man's free will? Meaning, are God's purposes stopped by man's dumb choices? My stupid, sinful choices. Is, are, are God's purposes stopped or frustrated? No. And that's why Romans 9 is so important. You can't just throw out the chapter. Then what does it mean? What does it mean? You know, I had one pastor friend say, well, you know, it's kind of like um, someone who's in a moving train and they're walking through the train cars. If you measure their speed on the train car, that's one speed. If you, if, if you measure their speed when they're outside the train car, that's another speed. If they're, if they're in outer space, um, they have a different speed. In other words, it's all on a certain perspective. Now, if that helps you, God bless you and God bless me for helping you. It doesn't really help me a lot. What does help me a lot are the last few verses of Romans chapter 11. Turn with me there, verses 33 and 34. What it does mean, all of this, is that the Bible teaches both things, that man has a free will, but that also that God's purposes are never, ever, ever frustrated by man's free will. These two things seem to contradict each other. The Bible teaches both. In the mind of God, there is no contradiction. 
So Romans uh, 11, verse 33, and by the way, Romans 9, 10, 11 are one section. They really should be read together. And this is how it ends. Romans 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Listen, we're not going to be able to figure this out. Why? Because he's God and we're not. He's God and we're not. So I'd like to ask the prayer team to come up, uh, act, and if you could stand at this, uh, this time, the worship team, if you could also come up. Parents, if you have a kid in Sunday school or nursery, I would ask that it, 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 one parent um, leave and, and pick up your children at this time, because uh, those workers are, are ready to release your children. You can come back to the, uh, uh, we're just going to have a closing song. So if you could just rise, we're going to have a closing worship song. We haven't ended the service yet. Haven't ended the service yet. We're going to have a closing worship song. And so we have a few prayer couples up here. If anything that is stirred in your mind that um, you would like to pray about, just why don't you come up and, and pray? And pray along with you. I'll be up here. Maybe you're not a Christian. Do you realize that, that, that God is drawing you? He has he's chosen you and you're rejecting him anyway. Do you realize that? Stop rejecting God. Stop pushing him away. If, that, if, that, if you've never made, if you've never stopped pushing God away, if you've never made him the Lord and Master and King of your life, Come forward and pray. But also, if, if I, 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 I read this verse again, verse 20 of, of Romans chapter uh, 9, which says, Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? If there's something about you, either physically, your personality, your circumstances, or some thing that's happened in your life where you're asking God why have you made my life like this and you'd like prayer for it come up God can free you from that battle he can free you from that battle where you're shaking your fist at him and say why have you made me like why have you done this in my life if there's any other prayer that you would like, I'm going to have just one worship song. Please come up. Let's close in worship. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus. Just open up our hearts in worship and call us into, call us into prayer at this time. Amen. Sing, hear my God.